special thank you to Eric Drew, who led worship with us this morning. Eric works for the Methodist Conference, and it is always a pleasure when he is able to come and lead us in worship. So thanks so much, Eric. So we are in the midst of our series, When Life Gives You Lemons. So we have been tracing the story, the, the history of the Israelites so far. So we started with Moses leading them out of slavery in Egypt, right? We um, led them to the Red Sea and parted the Red Sea. We have taken them through the desert. Last week, we talked a little bit about um, their experience when, when Moses went up the mountain to, to talk to God, to receive instructions on, on the Ten Commandments, on what it looked like to, uh, to build a tabernacle. And, and the people their trust in God and Moses kind of waned. They, things got hard and they resorted to their old idols. And, and we talked about how sometimes when things get difficult, we are known to do the same thing. Well, now the people have traveled through the desert and arrived at the promised land. And they know that this is the land that God has promised them, but they haven't really seen it. They don't know exactly what that means or what it looks like. And so Moses picks 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and sends them in as spies to check it out. So he is telling them, you need to go in there. We want you to look around and tell us everything you find. Now, this is not a quick trip. This is not just a little jaunt in the park. No, they are gone for 40 days. And when they return, what they have to tell the people is amazing. They confirm, this land is beautiful. It is a land of abundance. There are crops. There is fresh running water. There are animals. It is really a perfect land. However, there are already some people living there. And these people, they're not just the regular ordinary Joes. No, these are some seriously powerful people. Their towns and villages are fortified. They are dug in. And we can tell that they are full of strength and might. In fact, we saw giants, descendants of Anak. These are people who the, the Israelites knew from stories passed from generation to generation. Stories of Battles of strife. No, these were not any ordinary people. These were people that struck fear into the hearts of the Israelites. So you can imagine, as they are sharing this story with Moses and the gathered Israelites, it's creating quite a stir. There is a massive grumbling amongst the people. This is where Caleb and Joshua... Two of the 12 spies step in. He comes before the people, and we see in numbers how he talks to them. He says, But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. 
The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that is what they thought, too. Now, these 12 men, they faced the same problem, but they had two very different responses. Their responses came from vastly different perceptions. The facts were the same. First, the land was amazing, perfect, everything they could have dreamt of. And second, there were some seriously dangerous people living there. One group's perception led them to feel that it was impossible. We could never overtake this land. They're, they're too big, they're too scary, we'll never succeed. But the other group, the other group trusted God. Now, the 10 men who declared this impossible might not have been wrong. On their own, they would likely have been destroyed. But they forgot one key factor. They were not alone. Caleb and Joshua's perspective was different. It was different because it was based on their trust in an all-powerful God. You know, often we find ourselves faced with challenges and we have to stop and examine what is influencing our perspectives and then ultimately what is driving our actions. You see, perspectives are often complicated by two things. They are influenced by fear and by our own past experiences. When I was in fourth grade, I... Um, I would walk from my elementary school down Kings Highway to the high school where my mother's office was. Uh, it was an easy walk, three blocks at most. There were lots of other people walking it. Uh, it was something I had done for years and I was very comfortable with. Well, there was one day I was walking after school and I just sensed that there was something wrong. There was someone coming up behind me and I was uncomfortable. I can remember glancing over my shoulder and, and seeing someone who was, who was just making me feel unsafe. So I picked up my pace. I walked a little bit faster and glanced again and, and saw that yes, indeed, he had also picked up his pace. Now I'm basically in a, in a serious walking sprint, and I'm noticing that, again, his pace has picked up. In fact, he is passing people to get closer to me. As I approach the high school, I see that all I have to do is get across the lawn into the side entrance where the stairwell is, and I am right up the stairs to my mother's office. So I break into a sprint, and I start running. And partway across the lawn, I trip and I fall and look back and see that this man has continued to run onto the lawn after me, yelling things at me. I gather myself together as best I can and continue my run into the high school and up to my mother's office. Later that evening, when I'm explaining everything that had happened, my parents take us to the police department so that we can file a report. 
And the detective asks me if I can describe him. And so I tell him, and I can see it in my mind's eye today. I tell him, I said, well, he had a really long green, like army type jacket on, and um, he was carrying a paper bag in his arms, and he had long shaggy black hair with a, with a baseball hat on. And the detective looks at me and smiles, and he says, you know, we had people come in and file a report about this yesterday. You see, two girls had watched this happen, and they had followed me into the high school, but they, of course, didn't know that I had run up the stairs to my mom's office. When they couldn't find me, they went to the police. They filed a report, told them what they had seen, and described the man they saw. And the detective told me their description was a little bit different than yours. And he shared a little bit of their description. And I can remember thinking, you know, when I was fallen on the lawn and looking back, that man I remember yelling at me looked different than the man I remember from over my shoulder. See, fear had clouded my ability to see things clearly. My perception of this person was skewed. My mind had filled in blanks, had left me with a picture that was inaccurate. But these other girls, while they still had heightened emotions, were removed enough from the situation that they could see with clarity. Fear can cloud our perceptions. It happens every day. Whether it's a difficult conversation we don't want to have or a job offer that just seems so risky. Perhaps it's a relationship that needs attention and work. When we base our decisions on these fear-based, clouded perceptions alone, we are rarely bold or confident. Rarely are we able to see the potential in a situation. Instead, we're likely to choose the path of least resistance. We might run or we might choose not to move. We might ignore problems outright. Operating out of a place of fear eliminates God from the equation. Those ten spies chose fear. They chose to see only giants and killers. Their fear grew so large, they chose to spread rumors throughout the community. In fact, the grumbling grew to the point where many were asking to return to Egypt where they had been safer as slaves. Talk about a skewed perception. So what can we do differently? How can we be sure that we're not making decisions based in fear? Well, the first thing we need to do is learn to recognize fear. You see, sometimes fear hides. Sometimes fear looks like anger. It might be that quick, snappy response or, or the going from zero to 60 before you really get to process what's going on. Sometimes fear can look like laziness. Our anxiety and fear about moving forward drives us to do nothing at all. But when we learn to recognize fear, 
then we can dig deep. We can determine that our perceptions are being clouded. And we can invite God in to work in us. Psalm 34 tells us, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. When we acknowledge fear and bring God into the equation, he can begin to work in our hearts. And he can help us to recognize fear for what it is, an indicator. Fear is a big, flashing neon sign that helps us realize we are heading into something that we cannot and should not do alone. Caleb's desire to take the lands that God had promised didn't stem from bravado, but from a confidence in the Lord. I think Joshua and Caleb coined the phrase, if the Lord brings you to it, he will bring you through it. Cheesy as this colloquial saying may be, this is the truth that Joshua and Caleb were standing on. They argue and remind the Israelites who are paralyzed by fear that God has promised this land to them. And if he says it will happen, then they can do it through his strength. But because the people chose fear, they say stuck in discontent and discomfort for far longer than they would have. Now, fear isn't the only thing that influences our perceptions. Our past experiences can influence our current perspectives. I once heard a counselor describe it this way, that we all have a blackboard, and that blackboard has information from which we make decisions and the way we see life is informed by what is written on this blackboard. Now, some of us have traumas. Some of us have been told lies. We have negative ideas of who we are that are written on our blackboards. Things like, you're not good enough. Or, you're too much. You're ugly. You're unheard, unloved, unforgiven. Lies the world has told us that we have accepted as truths. But when we operate from this blackboard, we perceive the world as though it were attacking us. And we will respond in one of two ways. Either we attack back, becoming angry and aggressive and bitter, offending others before they have the chance to offend us, or we become passive, indecisive. We forfeit our voice. We feel we have nothing worthy to say or, or that we wouldn't be heard anyway. Moses almost didn't go to Pharaoh to argue for his people's freedom because when God asked him to go, he said no. He felt incompetent, unworthy, incapable, unforgiven. We miss tremendous opportunities to move forward in our lives when we work from blackboards filled with lives. 
when those lies inform our daily decisions. No. Instead, we need to hear and own what God says about us. He calls us beloved. He promises we are empowered through the Holy Spirit. He calls us children of God, tells us that we are forgiven, and we are called for a purpose. So how do we fight against these things? How do we resist fear and write over our blackboards? How do we fight against becoming content in discomfort or settling for just good enough? Well, we keep our eyes on God and we make sure that we are inviting him in to all of our daily decisions. We fill our lives with God's truth and his words. And we recognize that fear is only an indicator that we shouldn't be going forward alone. Now, this is not a list of things that we can do outside of the Holy Spirit. We fight this battle by giving it to God, by laying our worries, our cares, our fears, our insecurities before God day by day and minute by minute. And it is not something that we are called to do in isolation. Hebrews tells us, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. God calls us to be in community with one another. He calls us to be a part of each other's lives, to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable, to take those next steps in faith. Some of you have experienced this through small groups that you've been a part of or by sharing together in worship experiences. Now we realize this has been challenging during this time in our lives. COVID-19 has driven us into isolation and has made being in community together more challenging than perhaps ever before. But we want to help you, because we know this is hard. But we also know that it is worth fighting for. So one of the ways we are hoping to open doors to being in community together and digging deeper into our faith is through something that we are calling microgroups. These microgroups are super small groups, if you will. They would consist of two to three people, um, or perhaps two couples, and we would be spending time in safe ways together. Opportunities to talk together, to go through life together. These are people who have decided that they want to take that next step in their faith, that they're not content in the status quo, and they're ready to dig deeper. Now, we have a number of different tracks available, so no matter where you are in your walk, whether you are brand new to this whole thing or whether you have been doing this for a long time, there are all different tracks that you can look through and decide what you think is going to fit 
where you are best. We want to encourage you. You may reach out to friends who are already in your COVID bubble, as it were. People who you are already spending time with. Or perhaps it's people who you would spend time with virtually or as the weather changes, who you'd be willing to meet outside with and walk and talk and share life together with. I want to encourage you to check out more information on these microgroups. You can find it at meethope.org micro. You see, we are and we will continue to face challenges. The question becomes, how will we choose to face them? Can we work together to turn our fears over to God and replace the lies on our blackboard with God's truth? Are we ready to move forward in new and intentional ways? We aren't called to fight this battle on our own, but instead to come together, encourage one another, and lay it before the Lord. I want to encourage you to take these next few moments as the band shares a closing song with us and ask God to show you what has been driving your decisions and how is he calling you to move forward in him.